The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in markets and the broader investment outlook. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. Stocks are mostly up today, unless you're talking about shares of Chinese companies, which are sharply lower. We will get to that shortly, but first, welcome, Ben, and happy Monday. Thanks, Lauren. It's great to be here. Great. Let's talk about China for a moment. The big news this past weekend was that the Communist Party Congress met in Beijing. Chinese leader Xi Jinping cemented his power with a third term in office, and he has stacked his team with allies, effectively ensuring no checks on his power. Investors were shocked, although they really shouldn't have been. And Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell almost 6.5% overnight. I think it hit a 16-year low. Alibaba and Tencent are both down about 15% in New York today. What is it investors are so afraid of? And do you think this could be an overreaction? No, I, I think that is the, the big question is like, what are what are they afraid of? Because as you said, um, this wasn't really a surprise. I, I think maybe the extent of it was, you know, there were reports of, uh, of you know, one official being removed from the floor, though they blamed the health, uh, a health crisis rather than anything else over it. But, you know, who knows at it's this point? It's not a pretty picture. No, it, it's not at all. And and, uh, and she's now in the Constitution. So um, that's that's pretty wild, too. Um, and, and so it's, it's it's unclear, I think, at this point, what um, what specifically the market is reacting to. Um, I, I do think um, one of the things might just be that uh, there that there's even no real even pretense anymore to being investor friendly. Um, I, I think that that's gone. I was reading some uh, notes from a uh, note from uh, Louis Gavet over at Gavacal Research, um, and he was saying that uh, you know it's become harder for technocrats to maintain a balancing act between being politically loyal and having market credibility. Um, and I think that that basically sums it up. You, you, how, how do you do this anymore? How does China do this anymore? I think it just has stopped. Uh, um, it, that it seems on the path to like not really caring about foreign investors anymore. Um, maybe it doesn't that's need that was, capital. That, that's what I was thinking. Market credibility is an unimportant right. thing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It has uh, other things that it wants to do, and uh, appeasing, uh, you know, Western investors is probably not high enough at, at this point. So it's it's certainly been an interesting turn of events for people investing in China. There have been many problems along the way, but this has really been a washout of a of an experience. Yeah, and to so, your, to, go ahead. I was just going to say to your question about, you know, whether um, they can bounce and they can almost surely bounce. But I do think, you know, the question of whether China is investable has been coming up for a long time. Um, and, and I think really at this point, it's probably not. It's a place where maybe it's it's tradable. Um, 
you know, that uh, you can, when these stocks are beaten up, you might want to, you know, you can jump in and uh, try to pick them up cheap and wait for a bounce. But I don't think that they're something you want to invest in. And in some ways, they, they've started to look a lot like Russian stocks where, you know, Russian equities traded at a huge discount to uh, U.S. stocks. And that was even before the uh, the invasion of Ukraine. And it's largely because you just you just knew that they weren't, uh, I mean, it's going to sound silly, but they're not shareholder friendly. That's not th what the companies in Russia are are really thinking about. Um, and it's certainly not what the government lets them thinking about. In Russia, you know, you can shut down a company. It could be taken over by the government at any time. And I think you have to worry about similar kind of things happening in China. We've seen hints of this just with uh, some of the crackdowns on, um, on the internet companies, the gaming companies uh, in China. But I, I think it just becomes a bigger issue going forward. And so there'll be times where you want to play these for a bounce you can pick up uh, you know maybe a quick uh, 30 40 percent if that's your game but i think for long-term investors it's getting much harder to uh to invest in china it's probably hard to pick up 30 or 40 percent unless somehow you get very lucky too but basically the stocks you can't really model any sort of valuation based on traditional valuation metrics yeah it becomes when, very hard right when the political backdrop is not favorable toward toward investors and, and toward kind of rational explanations. I looked at the Chinese EV stocks a little while ago, Ben. I'm talking about stocks like Xpeng and Li Auto. They are getting slammed today. They were, I think one of them was down about 23%, but it's not just politics here. There's also an issue with Tesla. So tell us what's behind this sell-off and what role Tesla is playing. Um, I think a big part of this is that uh, Tesla just uh, announced that it's going to cut prices in China. Um, for you know investors in Tesla's stock, it becomes um, you know the concern is that you will have um, is that the demand is slowing in China and um, that uh, you know this is just another sign of that and that's going to be really bad for for Tesla's earnings. Um, but it it also is going to be a problematic for Chinese EV companies like you mentioned, Xpeng, Neo, Li. These stocks are all down, I think, fifteen percent or more, um, and that's because. You know, now they have to, you know, compete against Tesla, a cheaper Tesla car, and that's going to may hurt their sales. Um, there, there's still a sense that uh, Tesla is very popular in China and that maybe cost is the only thing keeping people from buying them. If they cut prices, then, you know, you're going to they're going to take some more market share away from the from the others. Um, and then you throw in everything that's going on with Chinese stocks. And I think that's the, the, the bigger thing um, today um, still is, is, is she and the, the party Congress. Uh, but, you know, Tesla's an overhang as well. And these stocks are just getting crushed. Doesn't help at all. So meanwhile, over here, the U.S. market has been mounting a recovery on expectations that the Fed is going to pivot. That's the word of the year and stop raising interest rates after this year. And there's even some thought that Jay Powell might begin to lower rates next year if inflation begins to fall. Something tells me that you don't buy the pivot story though. Am I right about that? Actually, I buy this one a little bit more than I did the last. Um, okay. and I, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, so the last time we had this pivot discussion was back in June. Um, at, at that point, you know, that's when that rally started happening. Everyone got really excited for a, a Fed pivot at that point. The problem was that the Fed was still talking about massive rate hikes um, and uh, that they were going to have to keep doing this to tame inflation. And the market was not listening. The market was pricing in, I think, peak in, uh, peak rates about 3 to 3.5% and an almost immediate um, start to rate cuts right afterwards. And that's a, that's a huge pivot. I mean, that's a real pivot. Rates go up and rates come down. Um, 
Um, and, you know, the Fed at the time was not even talking about any such thing. And the market learned the hard way that you, you, you don't fight the Fed. Um, this time around, there really is a sense that the Fed is starting to, to, to shift something. I'm not sure I'd call it a pivot, though. Um, part of it is just that the market has gotten better at assessing, you know, at pricing what the Fed has been talking. Um, so now we have, um, or at least as of Friday, we had um, peak, uh, peak rates at uh, a little bit under 5% and kind of plateauing for a while. Um, and that's really what the, the Fed has been talking about, because they, they haven't been talking a pivot. They haven't been talking rate cuts. They've been talking rates have to go up and they're going to have to stay there for a while to keep this inflation under control. We want to get them up and then see what happens. Um, and so the market is pricing that now. And then, of course, we had the story from The Wall Street Journal on Friday um, where it said the, the Fed is going to start debating whether they need to slow the pace of rate hikes. Um, and so rather than doing, you know, 75 bips all the time, as we've been seeing, you know, we're, we're going to get um, a 75 basis point hike um, in, in at the November meeting um, next week. I, I think that's pretty much a given at this point. But, you know, you maybe you see a, a 50 uh, basis point in December instead of 75. Um, I, I think what investors have to keep in mind, though, is that 50 is still a lot more than anyone thought we were going to get at any one meeting um, when this all started uh, this year. Um, you know, everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be 25 for a while. So 50 is still pretty big. Um, and we're still going to get to a terminal rate that is pretty high. It's going to be someplace between 4 and 5%. And then the, the Fed will see what and what happens. Um, so I don't think this, to, to boil that all down, I don't think this, what this market is responding to as is as misguided as it was back in June. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. I think the Fed should always be debating how high it's going to go. Yeah. But for some reason, this story really moved the market in a big way. Yeah, the, the market so, does seem to like to take any, you know, little a little remark by the by the Fed, particularly Powell, and turn it into whatever the market really wants. Um, and you know, by the markets, I mean investors. Investors really wanted the Fed to pivot and didn't think the Fed would stay on the uh, on the course it was on. And, um, you know, Powell and the, the rest of uh, the Fed governors really did have to win back some credibility. And so far, they've been doing that. We'll have to see how the market reacts if we do start to get that, uh, you know, slowdown in rate hikes. Uh, it becomes a reality. Well, things will be quiet until the FOMC meeting next week. I think the Fed is in a quiet period now. They are. So it's entirely up to us to impute what they may be thinking, but they aren't going to tell us for a while. So the other big news in the markets this week is the coming deluge of third quarter earnings. We've heard from the big banks and a number of other companies, but this week we're going to hear from most of the big tech names, industrials, pharma companies, auto companies, big oil. Everybody has something to say. So far, it seems earnings season has turned out better than expected, meaning that many companies are actually beating analyst estimates. Give us the big picture, and then we'll dive into some of the specific names reporting this week. Sure. Well, companies always beat, right? Um, but that's the game. Um, that is the game. You got to get that guidance right so you can beat it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's been a fine earnings season so far. Um, you've had almost a quarter of the S&P 500's market cap has reported earnings, um, and they're beating by about 3.2%, and 69% of companies have the top pro, uh, projections. Now that's a little bit lower than we've seen in some previous quarters where we're getting uh, well into the seventies, but it's fine-ish. Um, and, you know, it looks like earnings are on pace for about 
5.6% uh, increase um, over the rest of the, uh, or for, for this quarter's earnings. And that's going to be based on a beat rate of 3.2%. These numbers are all from Credit Suisse. Um, they do a good job of rounding up the numbers. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, you know, we're going to end up a little bit better. Um, earnings growth was supposed to be at around 3.2%. We'll get to, you know, if we get to that 5.6%, it's a little bit better. Um, and, but this week is the big week. Um, this week we get 45% of the S&P 500's market cap. Um, and that includes, uh, you name it. Um, we're going to have oil companies like Exxon and Chevron. We're going to get uh, um, pharma companies like uh, Merck. We're going to get Visa. We'll get MasterCard. We're going to get Coca-Cola. And of course, we're going to get the rest of the, really all of big techs. I'm not sure we can count uh, Netflix as part of that group anymore, but we'll get Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta platforms. So let's start with the big tech companies. I think we have Alphabet reporting on Tuesday. We've got uh, Microsoft reporting on Tuesday as well, and the others later in the week. So let's start with Alphabet. What's the outlook? Um, you know, they're, they, all these tech companies are a little bit different. And for Alphabet, so much depends on advertising. Um, and there, there's a sense, at least according to Evercore's analysts, that, you know, advertising has been a little more resilient um, and that Google is able, is the most resilient of the companies that depend on online advertising um, when there's a downturn. Um, there's some slowness in travel. Um, and the biggest issue for um, Alphabet, however, could be uh, FX. Um, it's uh, the strong dollar is going to eat into the uh, into its uh, uh, margins and profits because um, it does uh, so much business outside the uh, outside the U.S. Um, but it's also gotten hit very hard this year and is still um, much closer to a low than it is a high. And so I think if the, uh, you know, it could be set up for, um, you know, for a bounce here, um, this is, it's at its low as the low that it was at uh, really back in uh, April of 2021. Um, and so if it can hold this level, if the numbers are pretty decent, you can see a pretty big bounce in the stock. It's also not terribly expensive anymore. Um, I think earnings, uh, forward earnings are about uh, 17.5, which is a little more expensive than the market, but uh, it, it's a, it's still a pretty decent stock, um, not horribly expensive, and so might deserve that kind of valuation. It's interesting. PEs are no longer up in the 20s and 30s. No, they've really come down quite a bit. Yeah, really sharply. So Apple reports on Thursday, the stock has probably done the best of the big tech companies. What's on the docket for Apple? Oh, there's so much there. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. I mean, I know I've talked to uh, um, our reporter, a Angela, who, you know, does daily stuff on on Apple, and she can't wait for this report to come just because every day there's like another note talking about uh, iPhone 14, um, all, all the models and what the sales are going to be like and how they're going to how that's going to play out into earnings. And she just wants to see the actual numbers now. Um and, you know, you do have people saying that, well, I mean, there's two big arguments there. One is that, you know, everybody sort of agrees that sales won't be great, but there are some who say, hey, the, the iPhone 14 Pro um, is selling so well that that's going to make up for it. It's really the, the lower, the less expensive models that aren't selling so well. Um, but if you, you're selling the higher end models, um, the higher end versions of the phone, more of those, then it'll be okay. And you have other people say, no, no, it's just going to be a mess. Um, as always, is probably someplace uh, in between. 
Um, what I find um, interesting is that, you know, even on a day with uh, the market so concerned about China, um, Apple stock is up. Um, it's up uh, 0.7% today. China is um, a huge market for Apple. It, exactly. I mean, it's uh, they, they sell so many phones there. They make so many phones there that uh, I, I, I want to, I'm going to be listening for commentary on that. Um, you know, are they going to have to reduce their sales outlook uh, for China? Um, are we going to see uh, cost headwinds if they have to start making their phones in, you know, India, they're already starting to move some production over there, but if they have to do it, um, more of it and faster, would that, uh, eat into profits somewhat? Um, you know, the, the company has a str strong balance sheet, so much cash, they buy back a ton of stock, they pay out a big dividend. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to still, you know, like it, but you have to think that with, uh, this focus on China, um, even they also are going to have the problems with the dollar. Maybe you have to start worrying about uh, Apple a little bit, and maybe it does start lagging some of the other big tech stocks that uh, um, it's outperformed so far this year. It's a lot to watch there, as you and Angela both note. Tell us about Amazon. They're reporting on Thursday. Sure. Um, you know, Amazon's always uh, an interesting one. What we know about them is that they really hired too many people. They've been scaling back. Um, uh, and, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to hear how Amazon's, you know, second Prime Day came about. Um, you know, there's wasn't a sense of excitement behind it that uh, there was um, for the first one, but maybe it helped clear out stuff if that's what they were trying to do is get some inventory out. So far, it seems like the numbers are coming in kind of where analysts expect them to. That would be, uh, you know, earnings of 22 cents down from 31 the same quarter last year um and you know so you get things like we this is from evercore they say q3 estimates are largely reasonable it's that always gets you excited right when you hear reasonable, <laughs> reasonable um, right reasonable. what is reasonable to whom yes um but again it's another stock that has been beaten up so much um you know, it's uh, it's trying to it's trying to bounce here again. We've been positive on it. Um, a lot of that, a lot of is going to come down to Amazon Web Services on how profitable that can be and how much that grows. Um, but uh, if it can start getting past some of the the retail headwinds from those uh, you know inventory overstocks, it has some cost problems just because it has to raise hourly salaries um, for warehouse and delivery workers. But if it can get through this, um, the stock should be okay. But I think you do have to worry that it's going to be harder to get through this than maybe something. All right, Ben. I want to talk briefly about Meta, which is down. That's that's formerly known as Facebook. Oh, Meta yes. Platforms is down 61% year to date. It has been a terrible year for the company. Uh, what's the outlook earnings wise? They report on Wednesday. You know, it's an it's another one where the earnings are, are for this quarter are probably fine. Um, you know, they're supposed to report a, a profit of a dollar ninety. That's down huge. It's down from three twenty two um, uh, one year ago. And um, the only thing it really has uh, um, going for it is that everybody hates the stock. It's down 61%. Um, you know, Mizuho ran some checks. They actually think earnings are going to miss. And they think that Q4, the fourth quarter, is even a bigger risk. Um, that uh, they're that they're going to have a hard time uh, meeting those numbers. Um, 
it's it's a really tough spot for them to be in. I think it's a tough spot for investors to be in. I think anyone looking at this is uh, hoping that maybe they get that Netflix type reaction. Um, you know, Mizuho pointed that one out that, you know, Netflix had, came out with earnings and they were so good. The stock popped, I think it was close to 20 percent or so. Um, and that was a stock that was hated almost as much as Meta. But I think it, you know, showed maybe perhaps a bottoming in some of the concerns that uh, people had been uh, um, worried about and, you know, in terms of subscribers and other things. And I'm not sure Meta could do that. Um, you know, that's kept Mizuho, which actually likes the stock, from saying it's not going to get a Netflix-type reaction. But I also think you have to worry about Snap, um, that it released last week and it dropped, uh, you know, 20-some percent. Um, I mean, there's just uh, another huge hit for that for that company. And there's a lot of issues that are specific to, to Snap and not to Facebook, but there is some overlap there in terms of business. I think, you know, that's kind of the worst case scenario. I think it's probably not. It's not going to agree. It's not going to be Netflix. I don't think it'll be Snap. It'll probably be meh. And uh, people will. So what does Mizuho like? Is it the valuation? Is it something about business? It's the valuation at this point. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's still has it gets a lot of cash a lot of earnings um it's uh it, it's just uh, and, the, and they they think that there are some good things coming in the future but uh it's just the short term does look to be very difficult for it mm -hmm. all right definitely one to watch we've got a batch of industrial companies reporting this week as well they'll give us a sense of the manufacturing economy so why don't we start with 3m on tuesday and then we'll move on to general Electric. What's what's so strange about the ones that are reporting this week is that as much as I want to look at them and say this is all about how manufacturing is doing, for the most part, at least three of the big of the four, we have 3M, General Electric, Boeing and Caterpillar coming this week. At least three of those, I don't think we'll get any read on the economy at all because they all have their 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 own issues. Um, we'll start with 3M. Um, 3M is down 34 uh, percent this year. Um, it's, and it hasn't really been in any, any real economic problem per se. Um, but they have these massive overhangs, um, from, uh, lawsuits, um, some including, uh, uh, they may had a ear protection for, um, for firing ranges that they sold to the U S government that apparently didn't work. And that's a big liability, but the bigger one is, um, what's called PFAS. These are these forever chemicals or what they're called, which, we they still don't know how much it's going to cost to clean up, whether they're going to have to clean it up, um, but they probably will. And it's it's um, they're just huge liabilities and they are almost impossible to, to quantify. Um, Stephen Tusover, J.P. Morgan, was trying to do that. Um, let's put one thing out there. He's very negative on a lot of these stocks. Um, <laughs> but it, it becomes sort of like here's your worst case scenario. But, you're you know. He thinks that uh, the buy side thinks just the uh, ear hearing protection could be $40 billion in liability. And the company's only set aside $52 billion total for both um, for that for that and the chemicals. That and so, it, it, right, it doesn't seem like it's enough. And I think that's the thing that people are going to focus on here is, you know, is, are these liabilities because it's really hard to invest in 3M right now when you don't know um, how much money they're going to owe on these things. Um, and, and then you also have some of these other issues that uh, people are experiencing, you know, companies are experiencing, you know, the strong dollar is a problem. 
Um, and uh, you also have some weakness and they have some consumer electronics business and that'll be a problem as well. So it's one, I think even though it's gotten hit so hard, it's really hard to recommend buying the stock just because it's down a lot. Can you give us maybe 30 seconds on GE? We have a lot of listener questions that I want to get to, but let's talk about GE for a moment. Okay. Um, so 30 on seconds on GE. Yes. Um, so Stephen too said, again, we, we know he hates this stock. Um, it's supposed to have 47 cents uh, um, this quarter. That'd be down from 57. The stock's down 23% this year. The issue with GE, again, isn't really economic. It's breaking up. Um, it's spinning off its healthcare business. That's going to come uh, just after the start of uh, 2023. And then it needs to split up the, um, uh, the aerospace and its power divisions. Um, and that's what uh, people are going to focus on. They're going to focus on, you know, the, the quality of these three companies that are emerging, how much debt these three companies are going to have. GE has a goal of having all of them um, be investment grade when the split happens, which is going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch if they can do that. Um, and that more than just anything else, I think, is going to be... Um, uh, the focus, though, you know, they're always listening for the for the free cash flow numbers because it's the cash flow that helps determine kind of that balance sheet strength as well. So we had a question from Murat about another cyclical. He wants to know what is your view on the infrastructure bill on cyclical companies like Caterpillar. You know, it, it, these stocks get get pops from that, but I think the bigger thing for Caterpillar, at least, is just um, the uh, demand. It's, it will the demand for um, for metals and things like that continue to be strong. That's where so much of their business comes from. Um, and um, if, uh, if, they're, if, they, if mines really need to start getting bigger and do more because we're gonna have more demand for copper and things like that because of um, the shift from like two EVs and more renewable energy, then Caterpillar is, is going to do great. I think the other things help at the margins, but that's gonna be the big story for Caterpillar. And they're reporting this week as well. They are. Um, they uh, report, I think, uh, let me just double check. They report Thursday and they're actually growing earnings through all this. So uh, they're expected to report a profit of $3 and 16 cents. Um, they'd be up from $2 and 66 cents. Stocks only down 8% this year. That was through Friday. Um, and they have some other things going from there. Their backlogs are up. You know, the demand is still there. Um, their costs um, have gone up this year, but perhaps they can come down as well. So I think it comes back to this demand for mining companies. Will that uh, be there and help justify the stock going higher? So we had a question from Steve. He notes there was an article this weekend in Barron's on oil stocks. That was our cover story by Avi Salzman. He wants to know your thoughts on the near future prospects of oil companies, given the headlines about a reduction in consumption. Um, yeah, it's it's a fair question. Um, I think the thing we always have to worry about with uh, these oil stocks is that they have gone up so much um, this year. I mean, you look at uh, Exxon, um, this thing, you know, there's every dip has been one to buy. Um, it's back up near a, a 52 week high. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I've talked to some of the staff and who are a little worried about this, that if oil prices do start to fall, you know, these these companies are really at risk. But I've talked to other people who um, think that, uh, you know, they are um, that we're just in a point where there's been so much underinvestment in oil um and the oil infrastructure now there's so much demand for it just because of what's happened with russia and ukraine that we're, we're starting this we have seen a shift here that is going to keep oil 
uh, higher for longer and could probably support energy stocks going forward. But that doesn't mean they won't be volatile. I mean, I think they are set up in a way that you could look at, uh, you could see a pullback at some point. But I do think over the long term, they're looking pretty good. Um, I know that sounds kind of wishy-washy, but I just uh, I just tend to, when I look at these charts, they do seem overextended. But I also know that a lot of these dips have turned into buying opportunities. Fair enough. So we have a question from Ian. This concerns the Fed. He notes that Fed rate hikes are causing a crisis with world currencies and a potential treasury sell-off if countries continue to sell treasuries to counter their own currency meltdowns. Do you think the Fed will have to slow rate increases to mitigate a worldwide meltdown with currencies? Um, I think that's probably a little bit of what's going on with this talk about uh, slowing down the rate hikes. Um, some of this is due to, um, you know, com countries' own missteps. Um, you know, the yen is one where, you know, they can buy all the yen they want, but if they insist on keeping rates uh, near zero, even though their inflation is improving, their currency is going to fall no matter what. Um, th that doesn't have much to do with the Fed or anything else. It's just the mismatch in their own policy. And I think the same as you have sort of a similar similar situation happened in the UK with uh, kind of that own goal that they had with wanting to do, um, you know, these major tax cuts and spending um, at a time when inflation was so rampant there. Um, but at the same time, you don't want the the, the Fed to be so far out ahead of everybody else and moving at such a pace that you create this kind of um, the, these disturbances in the FX markets that damage everybody. Um, and so I think that is part of what the, the Fed thinking is. Um, I don't know how much it worries about the selling of treasuries, though I'm sure it has to be um, thinking about it somewhat. Um, but, you know, it, it would we probably, wrote about that too this weekend. Yes, we did. Um, there's a, the treasury market has gotten very messy. Um, it's not quite the liquid market everybody has counted on for so long. Um, and so I think that uh, slowing it down, if it helps there too, that's great as well. Yeah, interesting situation. Something to very watch for sure. Mark asks whether you see a repricing of utility stocks based on an increase in interest rates. Um, well, they've gotten hit pretty hard recently. Yeah, there's been a repricing. I was thinking that. Yeah, um, Andrew Barry actually had a story about this uh, a few months ago, um, and uh, you know, basically warning that the stocks had uh, gotten ahead of themselves and that uh, investors needed to be careful with them. And I think uh, it was borne out by uh, this continued move. I think one of the things we have to pay attention to with utilities is that, you know, there, there are two things. They're interest, they, they provide income when interest rates are, are low, and they're also very defensive. Um, so when people are scared of the market, they go into utilities. Um, I, I think you have to worry that the rates there aren't so high anymore, at least relative to where treasuries are now. And that if sentiment in the market turns, um, you know, people start getting a little more optimistic, you know, not, they're not going to want defensive stocks. So I think that uh, you just have to pay attention to that. There are some out there that are probably still fine and they've fallen so much that um, I'm not sure how much more downside there really is for them, but I do think you have to be careful and not, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how much upside there is for them as well. Fair enough. So we had a question from Howard about China. He wants to know who holds most of the Chinese equities. Is it the Chinese or is it U.S. investors? And if the stocks are no longer investable, what are the implications for China's economy over the long run? 
Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's a great question, and I wish I had a better answer, and right. I honestly don't know. I assume that the ones listed in the U.S. have been held by U.S. investors, but I suspect that's changing, partially just because they have performed so badly for so long. Um, and I'm I'm still unsure of what uh, what it means if there's less money flowing into China. Does China does China need it? Does it care? Um, it, it's a really good question. I think something that we're going to have to be exploring uh, going forward because the implications of this are, are just enormous. It's, I mean, it, it's such a strange time in the world where all these things that we've been able to count on for years, um, we just can't um, we just can't count on anymore. And it means reevaluating a lot of the assumptions that we've held. And Russian equities, for instance, traded extremely low valuations, but China's not Russia. It's a much bigger and much more important economic player. Right. Except that we always have to differentiate between, you know, the a, a country's economic growth and how important it is and its stock market. Um, the a market is not the economy. Um, it's sure. growth is dependent on, you know, it, partially the one of the reasons that the U.S. Is, is so popular is that we are better at focusing on shareholders than most other countries. Um, it's it, when you're looking at a market, you want to know how, how much do they have my interests uh how much do they care about the investor interest um, as opposed to just having them be a tool of uh, national policy? And I think that's one reason that Russia is so low, because they don't really care much about uh, the interests of investors. And you have to worry that China heads in that direction. And they can still be an important country and still have an enormous economy, but it doesn't necessarily make their stock market a great place to invest. Right. And definitely there's a bigger story there. I agree with you. I want to talk for just one moment before we go about Gilead Sciences, which is reporting this week. We don't spend a lot of time on pharma stocks, but they're worth a look. They have done fairly well this year. Yeah, they've been holding up well. And what, what I like about Gilead, and there are some other of these big biotech companies, it's like this stock has done nothing since uh, really 2016 when it, you know, cured hepatitis C, there was this big stink over the price of the uh, of the of the drug. Other people came into the market very quickly, and the stock just tumbled and hasn't been able to do anything since then. And and you see that in sort of the, the you look at the stock; it's down six percent this year. You know, nothing to get excited about, either up or down. You hear that in the analysts. Beats the S and P. I'm sorry. I said it beats the S and P. That it does, and but you hear it in the the boredom in the analysts too, and they're kind of like, yeah, we're updating our Gilead <laughs> model, blah 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 blah. But there's there's nothing there, but. What struck me is that actually three weeks ago, J.P. Morgan finally, uh, you know, they upgraded Gilead. Um, and they, they said that basically they have a lot more confidence in the HIV franchise and that the stock um, at the time was trading at about 9.5 times 2022 EPS earnings. Um, at, at that level, you know, basically everything else was free. The HIV business was covering uh, the, the entire value of the stock and, you know, it was ignoring things like the oncology business there, the cancer business, which is doing much better. Um, and so if they can start just getting a few drugs to work, there could be a lot of upside there. And it's one that I've kind of like, I used to cover this stock a lot because it was just, it was a great performer. Um it, people were interested in it. Now it's forgotten, but it's one that I'm starting to pay attention to again, just because I think it is starting to look like good things can maybe, and that'd be good, just 
better things can happen. It's been so terrible. So uh, th that's what the one I'm paying attention for with Gilead is just can we start getting some good news to start getting built into the shares? Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we discussed it today. And I want to close with just a quick look at third quarter GDP. We'll get a first read on Thursday. What's the consensus forecast? What's the Levison forecast? Um, the consensus is uh, for 1.5%, uh, um, which, uh, you know, it's growth. And we've had two quarters of negative growth, um, you know, heading into this. So that's growth. And that actually might be um, underestimating it if we trust the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now tool, um, which updates every time a release comes out that gets factored in, that would get factored into the actual GDP. And they're pointing to 2.9% uh, right now, which is uh, pretty good. That's practically robust. Yes, um, you know, actually, you know, five years ago, that would have been great. Um, and, you know, so we'll have to see how this comes out. A lot of it, it's going to be, it's going to be noisy. You know, it's things like inventories and exports that are really going to determine the, the makeup of the number. Um, Goldman Sachs was actually saying that they, you know, they think GDP rose 2.4%. Um, but they also think that there's been a slowdown in consumption growth. That's going to be about 1.4% quarter over quarter. Um, and there are going to be large declines in investment in uh, residential, non-residential uh, real estate. So there are going to be some things to pay attention to in here. But overall, it should be a positive number. All right. We'll leave it there, Ben. I want to thank you for joining me today. Great commentary. And thank you to our listeners. Great questions. Thanks, Lauren. Tomorrow, join us on Barron's Live when Barron's senior writer, Lauren Foster, speaks with Jeff Schwaber, CEO of Blue Rock Capital Markets, an alternative investment platform. They'll be talking about the role of alternatives and real estate in portfolios, which real estate sectors look attractive in the current environment, and the benefits of interval funds for retail investors. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.